to all of you and welcome to those who are watching online. It's good to have you with us today. Um, those of you who are here, you have been given a uh, sermon notes handout. Uh, you also can uh, go on the digital bulletin and find that as well. And those of you who are home, you can find that on the digital bulletin. Uh, so that might be something that you want to refer to or at least uh, take with you and respond to the message through that. Um, it is so good to be with you again today. It's always good to be with you and uh, it's always good to see your smiling faces. Sometimes it's kind of hard to see you guys. I got to kind of like block the, the spots, but it's good to see you this morning. Want to uh, to dig into what we were talking about last week? It's kind of a continuation, of a series, so to speak, a very uh, short series, uh, based on the Word of God, talking about the Word of God, and uh, just kind of dig into that. And uh, before I get started, though, I just wanted to just say this. You know, last week was about us, you know, reading the Word, and we need to read it more. We need to make it a, a daily. Um, part of our, our, our daily routine, uh, and, and I said something kind of towards the end, I said, you know, I hope you enjoy it, hope you enjoy it, uh, because that's important to read the word and enjoy it, not be, uh, you know, reading it and, oh, I got to read the word again today, you know, but to read it and enjoy it, and so, uh, you know, that's kind of what last week was about, but then today, this is a little different, we're, we're going to talk about its authority, in our life and how, you know, the Bible should be able to kind of guide us and tell us, uh, tell us how to live, what to do. And so, but, you know, when we talk about things like that, I think the tendency is for us to start thinking things like, uh, you know, that there are parts of the word of God that are, uh, that are, that are fun and they're, um, and they're uplifting and they're encouraging and they're full of love and full of grace and then there's parts of the word that are uh, kind of pointy and and sticky and and hard to hard to grasp a hold of, uh, and we kind of have a tendency to begin to put scripture in categories. But I want to tell you before we get started today that I really truly believe this: that all of scripture is given to us because God loves us, even the sticky things. Even the ouchy things, those are things that God gave us because he loves us. He cares about us. So really, uh, when we look at scripture, we really shouldn't look at it in ways it's like, oh, you know, we should read that and, and feel good, but then we should read this other part and, and uh, you know, maybe not so, feel so good. Really, we should read the entire uh, scripture and understand that God is loving us and he's caring about us and he's giving us these words because he has our best interest in his heart. Right? Amen? Amen. So what role does the Bible play in your life? What role does the Bible play in your life? Um, we, we read it. Does it matter to us? Does it matter what the scriptures say? And again, do we enjoy it? As we're reading it, do we enjoy it? Uh, I asked some of those things last week. Today, this is what I want to ask. Does the, Bible, does the Bible enlighten you? Does it enlighten you? Now, 
Uh, there's a scripture in Psalm 119 that says that the Bible is a, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Right? Have you heard that scripture before? If you haven't heard the scripture, maybe you've heard that Amy Grant song. You know, it's a, but but it's a, it's a great scripture because it helps us to understand that the Bible is there for us to be able to understand and enlighten the path that we're supposed to be uh, trotting, the path that we're supposed to be going in. And so does it show you the way? Does it show you the way? Does the Bible give you instruction for living? These are questions that we need to ask ourselves. So I think it's fair to say that in the... The, the time and the culture that we are living in today, I think it's fair to say that uh, most people in our culture reject the Bible, reject the Word of God, and really uh, they, they will not agree, most people will not agree to the Bible being the standard, right? Do you agree with that? Yet I read from our church's bylaws last week that the Bible is exactly our standard. It is exactly how we make decisions. It is exactly how we live life. It's, it's, it is our authority. It is the way in which we understand how to live and how to be. And, and it's been that way from the beginning of this church. As I've read through the history, I, Obviously, I haven't been here since the church was at Second Avenue, okay? But, but I, I've read through the history, and I know that through the history that the Bible has been the standard for this church since its beginning. And, and that started at Second Avenue. Uh, it continued into McKinley Avenue. And, and I know that this church, in the history of this church, there was a pastor who pastored at McKinley Avenue. His name was F.G. Smith. Okay? Uh, back in the day, everybody used initials. <laughs> you know, everybody was F.G. Smith and, uh, and um, you know, D.O. Tosley. And, you know, there was, there was just people who just used initials for some reason. But F.G. Smith was pastor at this church when it was McKinley Avenue, and he wrote a book called What the Bible Teaches. So I know that this church has had its roots in the Word of God and knowing what the Word of God says and then doing what the Word of God says, living by the Word of God. And so I know that from reading through the history. And it's always been that way for God's people. Now I'm talking about God's people uh, abroad, okay? So like the Church of God, a Reformation movement, has always been a movement based on the Word of God, based on Scripture. Scripture's always been the standard in the Church of God Reformation movement. And so you think about the time that that started. It was late 1800s that the Church of God Reformation movement started. And from that point on, it has been about the Word of God and following the Word of God. Now, Really what happened was when the Church of God began in the late 1800s, it really started out of a lot of different ideas from a lot of different denominations. Because what they were doing, were they were taking uh, this uh, church's ideas and saying, that's biblical. And this church's ideas and saying, that's biblical. 
And so they were, they were taking from churches that were following the word of God and they were making sure that they were lining up with what the Bible says. And so it, it, not, it doesn't really just start in the 1800s. It starts before that. But then it goes back further than that. It goes back further than that to a point in time when, in which the early church, the early church, the church that we read about in the scriptures, in Acts, in the book of Acts, and the, the, the books that uh, Paul wrote, the letters that Paul wrote to the churches, we see that the early church were following the scriptures. And so we know that the church of God, and, and that's not, I'm not talking about just Talmadge First Church, and I'm not talking just about the Reformation, the Church of God Reformation movement. When I say the Church of God, I'm talking about God's church, okay? We know that God's church, based off of history, based off of what we can learn in history, that God's church has always been about following the Scriptures, reading the Scriptures, and getting our answers from the Word of God. That's pretty... That's a pretty long time, isn't it? A couple thousand years. So if you go back to uh, before that, if you go back before that, and you go back to the early days of Israel, as Israel came out of uh, Egypt, as God delivered Israel out of Egypt, and they came out of Egypt, and they were in the wilderness, the things that God was telling the people, uh, well, very soon after they came out of Egypt, God gave the ten Commandments, right. So he gave the Ten Commandments and he gave uh, Israel, you know, ways in which to live. He was telling Israel, These, this is the way that you should live. This is the way that you are to conduct yourself. This is the way that you are to interact with each other. These are the ways that you are supposed to do these things. I am God and I am holy and I expect you to be a holy people. And he was basically telling them, you're going to, you're going to rub shoulders with many other nations, and you're going to come in contact with many other people, and I want you to know, do the things that I tell you to do. Don't imitate them. Don't do what those other nations do. Don't start living by their ways. Live by my way. I am God. Live by the ways in which I tell you to live. Isn't, isn't that what's going on there? In the Old Testament, as we read through there, that is exactly what's happening. And so they were told by God to obey his statutes, walk in his ways, live different lives than those nations around them. And what would make their lives different? Their lives would be made different by living by the commands, the statutes, and the ways of God. So as you journey through the Old Testament into the New Testament, that doesn't change. That doesn't change. And so you journey from the Old Testament into the New Testament, and really before the church began in the, you know, in the book of Acts, and then all the, the churches that Paul started, in that time period when Jesus was born and Jesus lived, Jesus said some of the same things. We're going to look at it. We're going to start out with that today. So Matthew chapter 7. And I'm going to ask you if you'll stand with me. We're going to read this together. Matthew chapter 7. This is, um, this is part of the, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, Jesus was 
kind of, and at this point, kind of closing his remarks uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. Not sure that he preached that whole sermon all at once, but, um, but that's what we have. So we're going to read this, 24 through 27, Matthew 7, 24 through 27. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew, and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew, and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It's collap- it collapsed with a great crash. See that? See what Jesus is getting at? You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing with me. Jesus' words are to live by. And I think, how many of you have a, uh, a Bible that's considered a red-letter Bible? It has red letters when Jesus is speaking, right? Yeah? Nothing wrong with that. Nothing, this Bible's like that as well, okay? Nothing wrong with that. However, do you realize that the entire word of God is God speaking? <laughs> you know, it's all God speaking. And so it's interesting because when Jesus says these words, you know, that, 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 that we just read about him, you know, and the, and the words that he's speaking and the, those who live by those words that he's speaking, that they're building their house on rock, solid foundation. He, you know, Jesus is basically saying uh, that, that his words are words to live by. His words are foundational. God's words are foundational for us. That which has proceeded out of the mouth of God and onto the pages of our Bibles are words to be lived by, words to be acted upon. And Jesus is very clear. His words can't be ignored, can't be discarded, can't be watered down, can't be treated as trivial without suffering some type of collapse. Okay? So, so if we take God's words, and we take God's words and we, and we water them down or we treat them as trivial or we brush them aside or we think, you know, he doesn't really mean that. And, and we just take his words and we just kind of dismiss them. Jesus is telling us that there will be some kind of a collapse that takes place. Now, I believe that we have witnessed that kind of collapse taking place within our culture. I I believe that we're watching the collapse of what is right and what is civil and what is pure and what is holy. We're watching the collapse of these types of things because we've taken the word of God and we've pushed it aside. Now, G.K. Chesterton, who was a a British uh, writer, um, also kind of a theologian, uh, he he said something I wanted to to give to you today, and it's a good quote. 
He said, once people stop believing in God, the problem is not that they will believe in nothing. Rather, the problem is that they will believe anything. You, you, let that sink in. Let, let that sink in because I, I, I believe that's where we are. <laughs> I believe that's where we are today. We are at a point where people, because they've brushed the word of God aside, because they've trivialized the word of God, that people will believe anything. Anything that they hear, they'll just believe it. They'll take it like it's the truth, like it's, like it's right. And this goes along with the scripture when Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy um, chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 4. He says, uh, I solemnly charge you. This, again, this is Paul talking to Timothy. This is the teacher talking to the student. And he's, this is what he says. I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. Now, church, this was Paul telling Timothy this 2,000 years ago. Do you think he nailed it? He nailed it on the head, didn't he? The truth is, and, and it, isn't, it isn't just for me. Now, you, you look at that and you say, well, okay, so Paul was talking to Timothy. Uh, yes, the, the, uh, the teacher and the student. But, and, and you say, well, so he was talking to Timothy who's leading a church. So he's talking about, he's talking to a church leader. He's talking to a, a pastor. Let's just say it that way. And you might say, well, so he was telling a pastor to be that way. But I'm telling you this morning, this isn't just for pastors. This message isn't just for pastors. This is for followers of Jesus. This is for those who want to be faithful to the Lord in their life. He's saying, listen, you can't, you can't ignore sound doctrine. You can't throw it out. You can't wash it aside. You, you've got to make sure that you're teaching and preaching the, the doctrine of the Lord and that you're standing firm. So the word of God, the word of God is our highest authority. And we could talk about authority today. And, and here's the definition of authority. I want to read this to you. The power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. Ouch. <laughs> that, that doesn't sound very fun, does it? <laughs> that doesn't sound very fun. So here's, here's what it means concerning the Bible. We're acknowledging the Bible is having, uh, as having the power and the right to tell us what to believe and how to live our life. We're basically saying, listen, the, the Bible, the, as followers of Jesus, as those who want to be faithful to the Lord, 
we're saying that the Bible has the power and the right to tell us what to believe and how to live our life. And it, it, it only makes sense, doesn't it? Do you think, what, what, do you, what would you know about God without this? We're informed by this who God is. You want to talk about grace? You wouldn't know about grace unless it was for the word of God. You want to talk about love? You wouldn't know about love unless it was for the word of God. But then go to the other side of the coin. You want to talk about righteousness? You wouldn't know about righteousness if it wasn't for the word of God. The Bible has the power and the right to tell us what to believe and how to live our life. This is foundational. This is foundational, and it's so important. And you say, when I read that, you know, when I read such a statement, and some will say at this point, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I'm in charge. I'm in charge of my life. I get to call, you know, I get to say, make the calls here. I get to say what I, what I'm, what I get to do, what I believe, what I, what I uh, am going to go forward with my life. I, I get to make the call here. I'm in charge. Because that's kind of how we feel, right? That that's kind of that's kind of our nature, right? We want to be in charge, right? <laughs> I mean, none of us like to give the authority to anything or anybody else. We want to make the call. So if you feel that way, welcome to the human race. Okay? Because if you go clear back to Adam and Eve... That's what they did. That's what they did. You go clear back to Adam and Eve in the garden, and, and you see the same thing. You see, this idea of God's words having authority in our life goes clear back to the beginning. God, uh, I, I can kind of picture this uh, just by reading from Genesis, and there, there's a Genesis scripture in your notes uh, if you want to go there, uh, you can go there now, you can go there later, but we're not going to read it. But I can just picture, based on scripture, I can just picture God in the garden with Adam and Eve, just kind of walking through the garden because it tells us in that beginning time before sin came that God just would come and walk through the garden with, with Adam and Eve. Uh, that's really amazing if you think about it. So I can just imagine, you know, God with, with Adam and Eve in the garden, and he's just kind of strolling through the garden, and he's saying, you see that orange tree over there? Actually, you see that whole row of orange trees? That's all yours. You see those Honeycrisp apples? That's my, pers that's my personal favorite. That's my personal favorite. See those Honeycrisp apples? Those are all yours. And I can just see him going through the garden saying, look at that beautiful plant over there. Look at those flowers over this is all yours. And he was just telling them, this is yours. This is yours. It's all yours. All of this is yours. See that tree right there? That's off limits. You see what I'm getting at? God has given us so much in life. 
He really has blessed us in so many ways and given us so much. He's given us, uh, in, his, in his authority, he's given us so much in life to enjoy and so much that's a blessing. But he has told us, that's off limits. That's off base. That's not right. Right? And we have a tendency to do what Adam and Eve did. They looked at that one tree, that one stinking tree, and they said, I don't know, it looks pretty good. It looks pretty good. And they, they basically, and it was God's word. This was before it was on the pages, okay? They didn't have the pages. They, didn't, they weren't reading it, but they were hearing it directly from God. So it was God's word. And so they, they basically took God's word, and they basically said, God's words don't have authority over me. God's words don't have authority over us. We believe, we believe in our own desires. We believe in uh, what the serpent told us. They believed the lie. We're going to do what, what makes us feel good. We're going to do what we want. And so you see, it isn't anything new. It's been going on from the beginning of time. And it was sin then, and it's sin now. When we deny the authority of God, it's sin. It's wrong. So right from the start, mankind rejected the idea of giving God's words authority in their life, and we're still doing it, and it's still sin. Now, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 is a good scripture that talks about the word of God. And it says... All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And that's a scripture that uh, oftentimes when we're talking of such things, we use that scripture, and it makes sense to use that scripture when we're talking of such things. But Paul had just warned Timothy of many deceptions. He had just warned, like if you go back in the, the first part of chapter 3, just the first several verses, and read the first several verses, Paul had just talked about some things. Let me, uh, let me read some of it to you. Uh, but know this, hard times will come, I'm, just, I'm in the, verse, the first verse of chapter 3, uh, hard times will come in the last days, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, Disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irre- irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. That was a big list, wasn't it? Paul had just told Timothy these things. When he said there at the end of the chapter that all scripture is God breathed and profitable for these things. 
So Paul's telling Timothy that people won't be satisfied with themselves living such a life. And we see this all through Scripture. It's all through Scripture that when people begin to sin and do things, they're not satisfied with them just doing those things. They want other people to join in on them doing those things. Didn't we see it in the beginning? I'm not blaming Eve. Adam was just as much of blame. But when Eve did what she wasn't supposed to do, what did she do? She got Adam in on it. And this is what people do when they sin. They get others in on it. And they not only get others in on it, they want others to approve what they're doing. They want others to say, it's okay, keep doing it. And so Paul's telling Timothy that people will be just like that. They won't be satisfied with just them living that way. They'll be insistent that others live that way as well and insistent that others say that the way that they're living is okay. Now Paul speaks of of living in such a culture as enduring. And why would he say that? Because when we're living in such a culture, and they were and we are, We have to live in such a way that we endure in the faith. We stand firm in the faith. We stand firm in the convictions of the word of God. And so Paul was telling Timothy, you got to stand firm in the word. This is the way people are going to be. And it was a long list. And it even included disobedient to parents. And all the parents said, yeah. But there's a lot of other things in there, right? And so it was a long list. And so Paul's saying, listen, amongst these things, you've got to stand firm. You've got to stay sound in your doctrine. You've got to make sure that you continue to preach the word. And Timothy and us as well are encouraged to keep the faith. Keep the faith. We are told to hold fast to what we have been taught. And then Paul shares this iconic verse It's a verse that's often quoted, but not so much along with the idea of what Paul had just shared with Timothy. Amidst all this living to please self, don't just hold fast to your traditions that you've been taught. Okay, so so we're not holding on to things just because they're traditional. Okay? Because sometimes I think we get the idea that we hold on to tradition. We don't hold on to tradition unless... It's the word of God. Unless the tradition is based on the word of God, then we hold to the tradition. But traditions can be discarded. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I I realize that we say change is good, and at the same time, we're like, I don't want to change. But traditions can be discarded, right? Traditions can be discarded. But not the word of God. Okay. Um, The good old ways can be discarded. But not the word of God. Um, The the things that the the old saints told us. And I love old saints. I love old saints. Some of my favorite people are old saints. (laughs) 
But the things that old saints can be discarded, but not the word of God. You see what I'm saying? It's the word of God that endures. It's the word of God that has to continue. Uh, the, the word of God is inspired by God. Follow the scriptures because they are true and they will hold you to a standard that honors God. And then the iconic verse, scripture is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training righteousness. And so that we're all equipped and complete. Scripture is our guide. More than that, it's our foundation. It's our ancient landmark It's our ancient landmark that will keep us from straying from the truth and, 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 calling, us, uh, and calling us to a, a life that is holy and pleasing to our Lord. I want to give you a, a scripture. I, I don't have it. I didn't plan on it being in, in the sc- on the screen. Or, um, and I don't have it marked, but... Um, First John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If, any, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the pride in one's possessions, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. Okay, so um, I'm going to straight out of the camera. Sorry, those online. Uh, so pretend, and I'll put this back, Seth. I think that's Seth's. Um, so so this, is the, this, is the, uh, this is the word of God, okay? The word of God. And it's going to stay where it's at. It's steadfast. It's unmovable. It's foundational. That scripture says the world is passing away. What it's saying is the world's getting further from the word of God. It's passing away. It's passing. It's getting further and further from the word, from the truth, from God. And, and, and it's, you know, the scripture's telling us, don't do that. Stay grounded. Stay firm. This is our foundation. The word of God. God's ways. Um, so it's, it's the word of God's an ancient landmark. Always be there. Always be the right, in the right place. Scripture will keep us from calling evil good. It's our only way of knowing what is right. Over time, false teaching will sound like sound doctrine because of human reasoning. Our only hope to keep the right perspective on false teaching is to anchor ourselves to the sacred scriptures, which are good for everything. <laughs> I'm going to give you a, 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 an illustration. I had a hard time with this this week, but, but the Lord gave this to me last night and confirmed it to me this morning. You guys remember, I, I've been studying in, in uh, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. You guys remember, um, you guys remember what David did really bad? What did he do really bad? 
right? Adultery and murder. So, so David, um, he saw Bathsheba, uh, not his wife, bathing, and he decided that he, he wanted her. So he sent his servants to get her and bring her to the palace. And he committed adultery with her. And it didn't stop there. Uh, after he did that horrible thing, he then had Uriah, her husband, he had him murdered. Okay? In a un- kind of unconventional way, he put him out there on the front lines, had Joab uh, put him out in a place where he would be vulnerable. They pulled back to ensure that he would be killed. Okay? And we look at that story and we say, oh, well, this is easy. What's the scripture telling us? The scripture is easily telling us some things. And it's, you know, something that we can't, we can't miss, right? Adultery is bad. Murder is bad. So what's the application? Don't commit adultery. Don't commit murder, right? And, and, and most of us would be like, yeah, no sweat. You know, I got that. I won't commit adultery, I won't commit murder, especially the murder thing. You know, it's like not too many of us are really probably tempted to do that. I don't know, maybe some of you are. If you are, don't let me know. I'd rather not know. Okay, but, but here's the thing. We're getting two main things, easy, easy things to uh, put into practice there. Don't commit murder, don't commit adultery. But there's more to it. There, there's more to that story. Because if you read just, you know, in the first in that chapter that all that is in, you just read the first verse. It says that while all the kings went out to battle, David stayed at the palace. There's a lesson there. You see, so when we're supposed to be where we're supposed to be, (laughs) don't miss the importance of being where God wants you to be. Because if you miss that, you're putting yourself in a position where you can go in the wrong direction and do the wrong thing. There's a, a good old hymn that says, uh, may he find me in my place when my king shall call for me. <laughs> and I love that. I love that, that line of that hymn because Basically, it's saying, you know what? At any point in time, Jesus may call my my name to come home. It could be right now. It could be later today. It could be next week. It could be next month. It could be five years, 10 years, 20 years from now. But at any point in time, Jesus could call my name and I'm going to go meet him. I better be in the right place all the time. I have choices to make. I am not going to put myself in a position where I'm in the wrong place, where I can be deceived or I can be tempted or I can, be, uh, I can let the devil get his foot in the door. You see, one big lesson to learn from David there is that he wasn't in the right place. He stayed at the palace when he should have been out where all the kings were. Right? So that's a big one. Here's the other thing. So he's, he's in the wrong place, and he's walking around his palace, and he's up where he can see Bathsheba, uh, Bathsheba bathing. And, and at that point, when he puts his eyes on Bathsheba, he has a choice to make. 
he has a choice to make. He can either handle it in a way where he's like, oh, wow, shouldn't have saw that. Or he can keep his eyes on her and keep looking at her and think, oh, man, I want her. And we know what he did. Right? So when I think of David and how he handled that situation, my mind goes to another part of the word of God, to Joseph, not Joseph, uh, 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 Joseph and Mary. <laughs> Joseph, one of the, the, the 12 brothers who was sold into slavery and ended up in Egypt. And he ended up with a guy named Potiphar, serving Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife she wasn't too, she was, she was, she was something else. Huh? And she seduced Joseph. And what did Joseph do? He ran. You see, when, when we read the word of God, it gives us really all kinds of instruction on how to handle life. And, and what David should have done, even though he was in the wrong place, he could have still avoided doing the horrible thing that he did if he would have just looked at Bathsheba and thought, whoa, shouldn't have seen that, and ran from it. <laughs> so the word of God is really, it's, it's valuable for, for all parts of life. It gives us pristine instruction on how to live life. Perfect instruction. And it's all through the pages. All through the pages. We can't decide whether or not something is okay based on popular opinion. Do you realize how much popular opinion has been wrong throughout history? Seriously, folks, listen. Like, you take a, you take a poll on what the majority think. I'm just going to be honest with you. Who cares what's what the majority thinks. I care what this says. And that's how we need to be living life as followers of Jesus. Do you know who can't be wrong? Majorities can be wrong. You know who can't be wrong? God. You know who can be wrong a lot? Us. So, I'll leave you with this. It's found in your, in your sermon handout, um, also on the digital bulletin. Two things to take with you today. Two things to answer today. Two things that I, I really hope and pray that you will, you will really take under consideration and you will really think about these things as you leave this place. What issues of the day am I struggling to give God's word its authority, okay? And how will I anchor myself in the scriptures starting today? Starting today. The reason I, I think this is very vitally important is because I don't know whether you've noticed or not, but when I talked about how the world is fading away, it seems, like it, it was, it seems like it was fading away, it's fading away, and we've gotten to the point where it's now running away. <laughs> the world is getting 
away from the word of God very, very fast. And things are starting to be accepted that we would have just thought, what in the world are people thinking? That's what happens when you diminish this. So what is it today? What issue of the day are you struggling to give the word of God its authority? And how can you make sure going forward that you are taking the word of God and giving it its proper authority in your life? Boy, we need to be like-minded in that. We need to be together in that. Church, unity. Unity in this being our authority is really important. It's really important. Will you stand? Let me pray for you. God, we, um, we come to you right now at the time of this, the, the ending of this time in, in our service. And Lord, as we... As we think about your word and we think about its, its value to our lives, Lord, we think about how much we've really dug into it, how much we've really read it. Lord, that may be the first thing. We just need to, we need to read it more. We need to dig into it more. We haven't spent enough time in it to know what it says or how it guides us or what truth it reveals. So, Lord, maybe that's the beginning point. But, Lord whether that's the beginning point or not, I just want to pray that, that we will, as a people, as a group, as a, as a church body, that we will be fully dedicated and committed to giving the word of God its authority in our life. It starts with us individually, but Lord, it's also collective that we will individually give the, the word of God authority, but also collectively together that we will say, yes, it is the word of God. That is our standard. We will not budge from what the word of God says. Now, what does that mean, Lord? We, we know that that means uh, issues of holiness and righteousness and, and living the right way and things like that. But also, God, we admit and we say this morning that it also involves being a gracious people, being a loving people, being a caring people, a, comp a compassionate people, being a people that has patience with others, that truly reaches out and, and cares for those that are hurting. Lord, there's so much contained in these pages, and we want to live by these, these words of yours, these ways in which you've taught us to live, to help us to embrace the word of God today. Embrace it in a, a new and fresh way. Embrace it in a way that will be life-changing for us individually and life-changing for our church collectively. Bless us, Lord, today and help us to represent you well as we go through our day today. Give you all the glory and all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.